This is Jim Inkster, and you are listening to Talk Louisiana, originating from the Investar Bank Tower in Baton Rouge. And signature support for our program is from East Baton Rouge Parish, Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom. It is a news day like few others, and we have one of the elite guests as far as analyzing what's going on in our world, James Carville, at the ready. And if you'd like to chime in with James Carville, 877-217-5757, and emails to talk at talklouisiana.org. This is Friday Politics on WRKF Baton Rouge and WWNO New Orleans. Let's start with President Biden. He came before a press corps yesterday to try to answer questions that his mental acuity is failing. And this is a result of him not facing charges over his handling of classified documents. But talk about a a backhanded exoneration. The Justice Department, in its statement, says that they would be unable to prove Biden's intent beyond a reasonable doubt, citing, among other things, an advanced age that they said made him forgetful and the possibility of innocent explanations for the records that they could not refute. Now, James Carville, you're a few years behind Joe Biden, and you seem sharp as a whip. Why do the American people and apparently the special prosecutor, why do they feel that Joe Biden's not up for a primetime re-election assignment? You know, age is something that everyone's familiar with. In my case, I'm experiencing it. In my children's case, they're experiencing a family member that has old age. We all, we all know what it is. It's not, a, it's not an abstract thing. It's, it's real in every sense of the word. And I had always been skeptical of President Biden running for election because uh, I, I think that age is a legitimate concern that people have. I, I can't come on here and say, Jim, let's pivot to the real issues. This is, this is a real issue. It's not a fake issue. It's not something made up somewhere in the Fox biosphere or something. It, 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 it is front and center on people's minds. He is running against a man who will be 78 on election day. So Donald Trump has shown some, some problems himself along these lines. But Trump is a bundle of energy. Biden is not. And Biden is now pinned with the name Sleepy Joe by his adversary. How can he get past this, or can he get um, past it? Well, if we're going to draw distinctions of who's what and who's not, Trump has been adjudicated by a jury to have raped a woman. Correct. Biden's, never, to my knowledge, has never raped anybody. All right? If you take the documents case as, by the way, the special counsel pointed out, he cooperated fully. I'm not saying it's great, but he, he, he cooperated fully. He turned over everything that was requested. He didn't try to hide anything. He wasn't subpoenaed. So we got to be careful to not normalize this. Well, you got Biden on one hand, you know, he's 81 and Trump is 77. Trump is an adjudicated rapist and is also an adjudicated business fraud. And we're just getting started here. So if we're going to be fair, we have to be, quote, fair to both sides. I'm with you. But okay. but Trump, <laughs> but Trump, when he's indicted, as he has been four times, and when he's found liable in civil court of a sexual assault and ordered to pay right. the lady 80, $88 million when you count the two judgments, right. 
he, he very uh, adeptly uh, makes himself out to be a victim. And here Biden is exonerated and he's on the defense. What's wrong with this picture? Well, what's wrong with the picture is I would have thought the lady that the jury found that he sexually assaulted or what the judge said in the common parlance of the word that he raped was actually the victim in this. And that is James Carville's, you know, wildly left-wing uh, media-influenced uh, wokeism, saying that actually in, when a woman is sexually molested, she is the victim and not the molester. But in, in, in the logic of modern American politics, everything gets turned on his head. And he can make himself out to be anything that he wants. And if you, if you just contrast the documents case between Biden and Trump, it, it's really a, a whole different ballgame. But, the, you know, Jim, the, the first rule of politics is the first rule of South Louisiana. Was that is when you've dug yourself in a hole, for God's sake, stop digging. All right. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure you didn't dig a little bit deeper last night. <laughs> we, we've all dug holes down here. You know, we know, we're, we know, it's one thing we know about is hole digging. And I, I, I watched it last night, obviously. And, uh, it, it, it was, uh, I, I, I it's an open question as to whether he helped himself or hurt himself. As I look at the real clear politics uh, election forecast, and we are inside nine months uh, on a national mock race between Trump and Biden. Right now, Trump's ahead 45.8 yeah. to 43.9, 1.9%. But if you throw Bobby Kennedy Jr. in, who apparently will run as a third party candidate, the gap is about five points between Trump and Biden. Right, uh, right now, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, why isn't it uh, leaning on Biden to clear the path for somebody else? It's a great question. I, I was one of the more vocal Democrats that I think Biden should have considered not running. And uh, I led and five people followed me. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are a lot of people are going gee maybe james was right <laughs> and it's not anything to do with the way i think about Biden. it's anything to do with the way i think he's done his job i think it's some of the things he's done and i think his life is a, a very admirable life i think some of his accomplishments are, are just utterly magnificent but wouldn't People have this perception of you, and it's not going away, by the way. You can't talk around it. it, it it's there, and it's front and center on people's mind. And it's not just front and center on the Fox News ecosystem. It's front and center on the NPR ecosystem, all right? It's front and center everywhere. And to deny this uh, to think that you're going to have a press conference where you confuse Mexico with Egypt at, at 12,000, just look it up at 12,600 kilometers away, the 0.62 times 12 is what, 7,000 miles and something. Yes. Yeah. That, that, but, but you know, it, you know, anybody can confuse anything. I've, I've, been looking for my car keys since I've been 14 years old. <laughs> 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 you know, my glasses, which have been dead, uh, you're wearing them. 
Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had that little moment, you know? <laughs> well, we remember a time when Biden was much sharper. Uh, he, he's always had a propensity for gaps, but, right. but he, he, of course, was a younger man, and uh, he's, he's right. a guy who got elected to the Senate when he was 29 years old. He's got to be a pretty sharp fellow. And the economy, uh, you're the one who coined it, the economy's stupid. The economy's doing, re- doing great right now, and yet well, the American people uh, don't buy into it. Well, it's better to say, you know, so when you coach Little League baseball, you always teach your infielders to let the ball come to you. Don't rush it. So, it, yes, by, by macroeconomic measures, the country's doing well. A lot of people think costs are too high. They're working two jobs. Uh, housing is, is expensive, and the cost of other things is sort of going up. I think he would, should talk about things that he's done to help people deal with the cost of living, i.e., prescription drugs, first president to have to get them negotiated, to actually drop the price on some of them. But we know well too, all too well. He took away from the strategic petroleum reserve, which had some effect on bringing gas prices down. The big thing he needs to do is say he is going to have the Justice Department look into price gouging because the public believes, and I believe with them, that a lot of these companies use this as an excuse to raise prices far higher and far quicker than was justified. And, and, I, and I think if he was to do something like that and say, I understand the plight you're going through, that's why we're doing this, as opposed to can't you see the unemployment number? Uh, what, that People are not going to react to that. You, you have to be a little bit more securitous to get them thinking in your way. But, but when, when you say, and we went through this in the coming, the economy was definitely on the upswing in 1994, we got slaughtered. But when you tell people the economy is good and they don't think so, they think you're out of touch. Yes. And, and so it's a very delicate kabuki here you're doing with the public. James Carville is the guest, and we will go to the phone lines. Uh, we've got about uh, 20 seconds before we hit the break. James, a uh, listener asks, uh, this is Hal in Monroe, will Biden debate if he's the so. nominee? You don't think so? No. And, and, and the Super Bowl interview was already, I'd gotten, I don't know, seven or eight calls from reporters about him not doing the Super Bowl interview. Remember last mm-hmm. year, he didn't do it, and he said, well, I was on Fox. So everybody said, okay, well, it's. And what's going on? We'll talk more with the legendary James Carville and go to the phone lines after this timeout. This is Jim Inkster. You are listening to Friday Politics on WWNO and WRKF. James Carville is with us, and your number is 877-217-5757. Please be concise. As usual, we have some people who are eager to talk with James Carville. Dan, downtown Baton Rouge. Dan, you're on the air with James. Yes. Uh, given the continued support for a convicted rapist, do you think Hillary was really on to something with that basket of deplorables? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> thank you, Dan, from downtown. Uh, <laughs> downtown Dan. Uh, I, I think that was a poor, but an elegant framing, all right? But there are some people in the country that are 
I don't call them deplorable, but genuinely stupid. And, and I think that people, Trump has become a theological figure. I really mean that. And so his core supporters think that all of the attacks of him are further evidence that he's divinely sent here and he's actually King Cyrus or King David. It, it sounds weird because it, it is weird, but it's also true in, in, in a lot of places. And you would not have to look very hard to find people in these matters that should believe that. It, it, you wouldn't, it wouldn't take you very long. So, yes, I, I, as opposed to being deplorable, I, I think these people lack the human capacity of logic, but that that's and, and not all are that way, but you know, you, you, you look at the stuff that, that he's done that we just know he's done. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's deplorable. Right? His conduct is certainly deplorable. Now, uh, Hillary Clinton didn't say everybody was like that, but she did say right, it. She did say it. And inelegant, uh, I think we can. Henson Moore, uh, I had a conversation with him a few months ago. He says that's what cost her the election. Henson may be right. He I, might I, be. I don't, I, yeah, it might be. I, I, I wouldn't, you know, there are a bunch of things that cost her the election, and that I, I would agree with Henson. That's, that's something that is probably. A legitimate observation. But Trump can make statements that are outrageous day and night, and they go away. Uh, he makes so many of them that it's hard to keep track. We have never seen the likes of him, James Carville. Uh, how no. has he captivated about 40% of the country that will not budge? Because he, they, it, it's a narrative. And if you're a, a Democrat, you, you don't think that God sends messengers here, you know, you think that God gave you a brain <clears throat> and a free will and you can determine, you know, how you lead your life from there. And he spoke to people that felt, but then this is they just legitimacy that they weren't seen, that, that somehow or another, he was the guy that came up and saw them and paid attention to them. And again, I, I go back to this. I, I would maintain it all the time. I've talked about it at length. I've talked to people about it. he is a, you have to look at him among a lot of his supporters, not as a political figure, but as a theological figure. So we look at it with the, me, we, I mean, us Democrats, the, the, the rational people, we look at when we say, well, that's parties. This is what I like this about it, but I don't like that. Or this, you know, we have this kind of, they say that, He's been sent to deliver us. The Bible is full of that. He's been betrayed by the people in the temple or whatever mm. the hell else you think. And that, the, that his betrayal is further evidence that he has been sent here. And that's huge numbers believe that. It sounds strange, but I can promise you that it's true. And that, so everything, every bad thing he does is further indication that God sent him and the liberal, coastal, atheist, uh, baby kidnapping elite is out to get him. And he's out to expose this cabal of uh, sex trafficking Democrats. 
as he so said. Man, okay, it uh, sounds uh, stupid, but it's telling well, what it is. Well, and it's working with about two out of five voters in, right. in the country. Yes. And, yeah. David in Atlanta. David, you're on with James Carville. Good morning, gentlemen. I urge people to read Thomas L. Freeman's column in the New York Times yesterday. You know, we could be, thanks to Steve Scalise, Mike Johnson, and other Republican hypocrites, and Jesus said, what are you hypocrites? They receive a bill they haven't even read, and they say it's dead on arrival. And that bill, well, the, the, the aid package, the military aid package, will send military equipment to uh, Taiwan, which the Republicans won't vote for. That will encourage China to attack Taiwan. But my question for Mr. Uh, and a lot of people All right, die, what's your question? Uh, my question for Mr. Carbo is, what is the thinking of Joseph Lieberman with this no-labels ticket? Does he really want to help Trump? Well, he, he was with Trump. Uh, Lieberman has really uh, done a pivot. Uh, that was Al Gore's worst mistake, I think, putting him on the ticket in 2000. But but uh, the third-party aspect of this campaign, Trump's beating right now Biden one-on-one. -on -one, and when you add in these third-party actors, it, it probably makes it an even difficult, even more difficult uh, uh, objective to win re-election for President Biden. Well... When you're as old as I am and you're brown as old as I am, you've seen everything, and I saw Pro get over 19% in 1992. There are a lot of things that we can say about no labels, and I'll be glad to say some of them. First of all, I, I think it, it, there's a, a lot of money going to be made off of this. Uh, they position themselves as something new and fresh in American politics, but this new, fresh entity will not disclose its donors either the name of its donors, the amount of its donors. So that doesn't, to me, that doesn't have the odor of new and fresh. You know, if I walk into a room and it smells like that, I'd walk back out of the room. And you also have Bobby Kennedy. He's talking about being a libertarian. And don't forget, you got Cornell West and Jill Stein. Yep. Now, Jill Stein is a Russian agent. Now, let me repeat that, because this could be libelous. I believe Joe Stein is a Russian agent. Now, if you want to, you are not told this. Just go to your computer and Google Joe Stein, General Flynn, Vladimir Putin photo, and you will see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, remember this. Jill Stein got more votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin than he'll be lost by. So... I want to get too complicated here, but it's important because you do allude to it, Jim, and you notice the difference between the two-way and the four-way. Maybe it's even could be a five-way. And the problem that a poster has with that is you don't know what states some of these third, fourth, fifth parties are going to get on the ballot. So it's hard to poll it generally, but it, it, it is a, I think it's a more illustrative number in some ways than the two way. Now, what we do at Democracy Corps, we just poll seven states and we got a better idea of who's on the ballot uh, in those seven states. But it, it, ballot access is, uh, mm -hmm. is, is important. Donna in Mid-City, Baton Rouge. Donna, you're on with James hey, Carville. Donna. Hi, Donna. Hey, Donna. Hi. Um, just one quick question. Um, what do you think about Merrick Garland and how he has handled uh, various um, oh. issues? Attorney General. Oh, wow. What a, what, what, a, <laughs> what, a, what a great question. This is what I've been thinking about all morning. So I, 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 I'm 
I have to do a little more homework, and, and uh, you provoke me as what I'm going to do. Is maybe, Jim, you can answer this. By law, like, first of all, the idea that the Justice Department can't investigate someone is saying a lot about the country to say we don't even confidence in our own Justice Department to conduct a fair investigation. So we create these independent councils, these special councils, which, by the way, are always a Republican. I, I can't remember the last Democratic special council. And it, it's just the way that Washington thinks as well, if you have a Democrat, none of the Republicans will be, so we'll have a Republican. If the Republican, and so Merrick Garland falls into this. He, the report that he made, is my understanding, was mandated by the law. He delivers that report to Merrick Garland. I believe it was Merrick Garland that made it public. And there is certainly a, a, a good deal of Democratic angst at Garland because he moves too slow, he's too cautious. We'll talk more with James Carville. He's at the ready when we return after this. This is Jim Inkster. You're listening to Talk Louisiana on WRKF Baton Rouge, WWNO New Orleans. Friday Politics, James Carville is with us. And please be concise in your remarks as we go to the phone lines. Carol in New Orleans, you're on with Mr. Carville. Carol, excuse me, it's Chris in New Orleans. Chris in New Orleans, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was really amazed, like many, by the um, situation with the border bill that uh, just went down in the Senate after the Republicans in the Senate got everything they wanted. And I know that the plan for the Democrats right now is to may just make this a campaign issue, but I wanted to ask James, do you think it would be worth a try for the uh, Democrats to really try to get this done? They could try to push it through with a reconciliation maneuver in the Senate, which takes a little while, but can be done with a bare majority. All right. What do you make of, uh, they've got 49 votes, uh, the, the bill that uh, the Republicans uh, actually were promoting, and then when Biden got aboard, they they... They went the other way. What happened, James? Honestly, Trump killed it. And he's not a member of Congress. And, of course, they've got to have to do what he says. But you, you, you can obviously run against that. The Democrats were kind of didn't have very good messaging on the border. The one gift they have now is they said, look, we tried everything we could. And the Congress chose to do nothing. And there's some, there's a lot of validity to that. First of all, only Congress can appropriate. Every person you talk to on the board, you see a thousand interviews, they said, look, we're just overmatched here. Uh, we have too many people trying to get in and too few border agents. And also, uh, you could get all confused by something like this, but the, the uh, uh, am, uh, asylum laws are really difficult. In every country, and you have international agreements. I don't want to, if I get too deep in the weeds, I'll, I'll go through. But what the Democrats now have is an answer. That, that's what they didn't, they didn't, they wouldn't give us a bill or, or solution, but they did give us an answer, which is better than we had before. And what do you make of Governor Landry uh, planning to send Louisiana troops to the Mexican border? Well, I live in New Orleans, if you want to. I don't, I don't like sending troops. Troops are not, I, I was in the Marine Corps. They're trained to fight wars. They're not trained to process border 
And I, I think this is not a terribly good idea. And when you send troops as a guard, you have to call up people. They're doing something that they're not trained to do. If he called his Republican friends and said, appropriate more and let's train more border agents who are actually trained to do this, we would be a lot better off. But I, I think it's a stunt. And I, it, it as a policy, I think it's a bad policy stunt. This is not what a soldier signs up for. And it's not what he's trained for. And that's all she's trained for. And that's not what the officers are trained, trained for. They don't teach guarding the border at West Point. <laughs> well, federal judge Shelley Dick in Baton Rouge yesterday handed down a decision two months after a trial on congressional maps was held in her courtroom. And her court order gives the legislature an order to implement new maps, even after redrawing the congressional maps and adding a second majority black district. Federal judge Shelley Dick is of the mind that this still dilutes black voters in a state that is one third African American. James, I, I find this a bit of a surprise, but what do you make of it? You're a good lawyer. Uh, okay. Uh, well, I make that the Supreme court said you have to do this. I was surprised that the Supreme court did this, but you basically they had let legislatures draw maps any way they wanted to, but, after a while, they said, no, you can't exclude race can't be the base. I'll give you an example. I grew up in Carville. I assume most people that listen to this know where Carville is. It's maybe 15 miles south of Tiger Stadium. And now uh, I live in New Orleans. Both Carville and the warehouse district in New Orleans are in the same congressional district. That would have been unheard of. They're utterly unheard of because they tried to get every black person that, that they possibly could. So I grew up in a hugely majority black place. I live in a majority black town. So I stay in the same congressional district, although there's very little in common between the two. But what Judge Dick is doing, by the way, her mother married Mary and I. Really? Uh, yes. I did not uh, well, know that. Uh, and what she's doing is just following what the higher court told her to do. That's not, I mean, they're pretty limited in what they can do because they have to pay attention to what the Supreme Court of Court of Appeals says. And I think she's just implementing that. James and Metairie. James, you're on the air with James Carville. Well, good, good morning, uh, Jim and James, and happy Mardi Gras, everybody. Uh, <laughs> James, uh, I hate to get into this, but I see strong similarities in the scenario of what happened with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She stayed on the court until she passed away, and got, we got the Amy Comey Barrett. But Joe Biden is, without question, in my opinion, in cognitive decline. It's, uh, it's, yesterday was a disaster. The report and then his press conference, uh, it, let's say he does, something happens and he's not the candidate. Who do you think would be uh, could fill that role, be the candidate to run against Trump? Okay, that's a that, that's an insightful question. Uh, I'd expect no less from someone named James. Uh, <laughs> let let me. There's a person that knows more about this than anybody in the United States, and this person's name is Elaine Cormack. She's like my age, maybe a little bit older than me, but she's a kind of a scholar. And her expertise is delegate selection, timetables, et cetera. 
And I know coming this week, I'm, I'm going to talk to Elaine and figure out where, the, where, where at this point this is what happens. Now, understand there's always a way if the, if the nominee drops dead the day before the election, you're still going to have a candidate. Uh, in, it, it, a lot of it is past a certain date. The, the state Democratic committees selected a nightmare. It, it, it's very technical. It, it's pretty complex. And I, if any journalist has any sense, which is always a problematical question, <laughs> sorry, Jim, <laughs> <laughs> they would like call Elaine and do a matrix if, in this state, by this state. Because remember, we have 50 different elections. That's the important thing to remember about our presidential politics. There's not one presidential election. There's 50 different ones. So the, the question, it's a very sophisticated question. And the answer is going to try, is going to be to have to try to do a little further research. But if anyone knows, Elaine Cormack knows. And by the way, she just got married to Stenny Hoyer. So <laughs> I'll be darned. Yeah. In Congress, as long as I've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> Phil and Jefferson. Phil, you're on with James. Good morning, gentlemen. You know, um, I think we should start thinking about a wonderful prison that uh, Trump could be uh, going to. I know everyone's assuming that he's All right. never well, going to well, serve what's your, Congress. What's your question? Let's flip that script. My, well, let's take a bit on that Angola. We've got some All right. Things. Okay. Okay. Let's let's not pile on. I think Trump uh, Trump is resilient, if nothing else. And you know what? He likes it when people uh, make statements like Phil. That he that uh, just uh, makes him more the victim in a lot of people's minds. So, Phil, uh, if you're doing this to score points, I don't think it's working. Stuart, downtown Baton Rouge. Stuart, you're on with James Carville. Why, thank you, Jim. James in the audience, good morning. Mr. Carville, um, would you agree with this? Uh, including many uh, upper educated Caucasians in America who have, are well, they profess well to be above the racist thing now. Uh, do you think that MAGA is code for make America pre-civil rights white again? Uh, All right, well, All right. you have the floor. <laughs> Okay, I'll give you a real answer. You're a real answer. All right. So what MAGA evokes is the America that was. And, you know, I, again, I, I graduated from high school in 1962. I graduated from law school in 1973. At LSU Law School, in my graduating class, there was one black, Ralph Tyson, who went on to be a federal judge, whose who son Chris is, teaches at the law school now. Is an unbelievably great family. And we had three women. So you could say was like clearly if you were a white male uh, with an advanced degree, life was pretty good for you. And now it, LSU law, I'm sure, is a class of majority female. Right, that I'm my most positive, and I'm sure there's more than than one. But the problem is he votes a time that if you if you want to go back to 1958, well, if you're a, a, a white guy in Louisiana, it, it, but, but, but if you're a black person or you're a gay person or you're a female or you're anything else, it, it, that's not your high watermark. And as opposed to making America great again, why don't we make America better tomorrow? 
and I, I, I always thought that, that, that Hillary, you know, advocating for this as most things that didn't get anywhere, is he wants to go back and we can never go back. We have to push forward. The country's not going to be the same. It's not gonna, you're not going to have a 97% all-male classroom at the law school. It's gone. Bye. <laughs> it, you. you can't bring it back. Paul Annopoulosis. Paul, go uh, for it. Good morning, Jim, uh, and, and your guests. Just two points. I feel right now Trump is going to win. Let's just, just put it like that. Like you said, it's gone. It's done again. What are we going to do when he's in office? What, a, what is Congress going to look like when he is in office? All right. Well, James, I, I, a lot can happen yeah. in nine months, but wouldn't Trump be a boon for the Democratic Party? What do you call a boon? So he appoints another couple of Supreme Court members? Well, he turns uh, you, the you, government over to Christian nationalists? There is that. Uh, who, yeah, boom, boom for the Democratic Party. The country may entirely blow a gasket. Okay, we'll be pardoning every <laughs> We'll spend some more time with James Carville after this. This is Jim Inkster. You're listening to Talk Louisiana Friday Politics on WWNO and WRKF. And James Carville is with us for a few more moments. Then we'll go to Andy Mass, Associate Vice President at LSU. A major $160 million grant has been acquired by the Old War School. We'll talk about it. But uh, Robin Dow tells me we've got time for a caller or two, if you're very brief. Uh, Mike in Waveland, Mississippi. Mike, you're on. Good morning. Good morning, James and Jim. Uh, I know that Andrew Bacevich is uh, very much against uh, the way Israel's prosecuting the war in Gaza and the proxy war in Ukraine and the arms to Taiwan. So uh, why can't uh, Joe Biden and his administration figure that out as well? All right. What about? uh... So let's uh, thank you. I'm actually right by way of basically Lewis right now. Uh, Andrew Bacevich, I'm a huge admirer. He came, he did my class at Tulane, spent some time. Uh, with him in New Orleans. He's a very, very wise man. If you notice last night, and this is something that people miss, with the only thing that Biden did to get off his the script about the independent counsel and his whatever, is he talked about what they were, how they were trying to help in Gosh. This has become an enormous, in addition to being a terrible problem everywhere, it's an enormous problem in the Democratic Party because a lot of Democrats are hugely uncomfortable with what is going on in Gaza. I, I'm trying to get to Israel. I hope I'll get there before the summer, but I don't know if I can. Uh, but that's a very sophisticated question, and everybody should know who Colonel Basevich is. And he's a very wise man, and anything that he says, I, I, w- I would take it seriously and give it a lot of consideration. All right. Uh, one more caller. Robin tells me to go to Cliff and uh, Inniswald and Baton Rouge. Cliff, you're on. Please be brief. You're on with James. Yes, yes. Uh, quick question. If Trump wins, is there a loophole, because he said he'd be dictator on day one, is there a loophole where he can either cancel out any future elections since he can only be elected for two turns, or can he possibly change the term limits to where he can continue? All right, that's a constitutional matter, but James, right. uh, yeah, that, be, it, that'd be hard to do. It, it would be hard to do, but if he had enough people in the courts, all right, you'd be surprised how you can limit democracy. And you know, look at what happened in Hungary. And most of these, it, that, that's real lessons 
uh, real forward. I mean, it, it could, could he just turn us into a, a, a dictatorship? I doubt that. Could they make the country more authoritarian and less diverse than it is? They could do that easily. And understand the people that are behind this. And by the way, they're all over East Baton Rouge Parish. You don't have to go far to find these Christian nationalists who think that the Constitution of the United States, I'm not kidding you, was ordained by Jesus Christ and given to the founders and was written for the protection of Christians only. Don't don't doubt me on this. All right. Do your research. And East Baton Rouge Parish is crawling with these people. I'm doing some of my YouTube classrooms. I don't people I don't think people understand just how deep and serious this threat is. I really don't. And Trump is to turn the country over to him. Well, James, thank you. If you know if you don't like what you got now, get Tony Perkins running the country because he will be. Thank you for joining us today. Always uh, uh, a pleasure. James Carville, uh, one of a kind. Andrew Moss, another guy who's one of a kind, not known well as James Carville. I think the only LSU graduate known better in James, than James Carville in the world right now is Shaquille O'Neal. But Andrew Moss uh, came this way from uh, other states. He was educated at Colorado and Utah, also Texas and Ohio, but he's Associate Vice President for Research, overseeing the LSU Office of Innovation and Ecosystem Development. And there is a huge development. LSU got a $160 million grant. Now, even in today's world, this is big news in academia. Tell us why this is so substantial and exactly what you'll be doing with the grant. Well, Jim, it's great to be on today. Um, we have pulled together a collaborative across the state called FUEL, Future Use of Energy in Louisiana. It's led by academ academia, but it has partnerships with industry, partnerships with the community colleges, partnerships with the economic development organizations across the state, and, and especially partnerships with our state. Um, Louisiana Economic Development is fully behind our initiatives here, and we're really focused on helping shift the paradigm around energy and energy transition in the state of Louisiana. Well, this grant uh, obviously was a competitive thing. How did LSU acquire it? Yeah, it was initially 700 applications came into the National Science Foundation. It's the largest grant um, program that NSF has ever run. It was whittled down to 34 semifinalists last June. And last August, it was whittled down to 16 fi finalists. And the uh, final announcement was made in the, at the end of January, and it's $160 million over 10 years. And what the, what the federal government is trying to do here is experiment on place-based economic development. And we all know that there's great ecosystems in other places, Boston and San Francisco and, and Dallas and Houston, and they wanted to look at ways that they could infuse an ecosystem with some capital to see if they could replicate those things based on the local assets and not trying to move other assets into the state. Now, Tulane University is a partner, correct? Absolutely. And I think you're also involved with UL. ULL, La Tech, Dillard, Xavier, um, they're all at the table. Well, one of the things is carbon capture. How will this uh, be involved in that issue, if you will, and it is an issue, but some believe it's a great opportunity. Absolutely. We have 
um, six main technical thrusts, and one of the technical thrusts is carbon capture, utilization, and sequestration. Um, Louisiana has the best geology in our country for storing CO2. That's just a fact. You can look at, and it's the geology not at the surface. It's the geology that's 5,000, 6,000 feet underground. And um, so when we talk about the CO2 capture and CO2 storage, and it's in the politics and the political winds are saying one thing, we want to look at the science and have the science outline why these things may be problematic or why they might be successful and non-problematic. 877-217-5757 if you'd like to get in under the wire with Andy Moss, who is one of the head honchos at Louisiana State University, and he's thumping his chest as he should. He says the future use of energy in Louisiana intends to address the changes with the best available science. Now, a listener asks whether this is uh, basically a cloak for industry, uh, but LSU got this grant, I think, in part, as you note, because about a quarter million people work in the industry in Louisiana. But is it uh, is it more industry based than environmentally based? I think it's um, I'm going to say it's research based. <laughs> and there's three main thrusts, research, workforce and technology commercialization. The federal government at the National Science Foundation is making is is making a test. They're, they're testing the science here to see if they can move the needle on the ecosystem. But the other thing that they're doing is that they're, they're helping um, or they're encouraging us to bring these things together under the guidance of university leadership. Um, the universities were the entities that were eligible to apply for the program, and industry was not. Patricia in Magnolia Woods, you were on with... Andy Moss of LSU. Hi, good morning. Um, I read that um, they're they're trying to create Accelerate Louisiana, a nonprofit foundation, and Governor Landry says that the three billion dollars that the foundation will have, none of that can be given to any higher education institution. Right. That's the. Uh... That's associated elements, with the sale of the Blue Cross, the Blue yeah. Cross Blue Shield. But uh, obviously, uh, higher ed would seem to be a place where it might be a good thing to spend some money to try to find things, uh, find out the way things should work better. I do recall in 1983 when Doc Pennington, I think, donated the exact same amount, 160 million to LSU. It was the largest grant in the history of academia at that time. And this is not with inflation, not as big, but it's still $160 million is one of the largest of all time, isn't it? It's, you know, we're touting as the largest NSF grant ever in ever. The history. So, so what about uh, universities being an ideal place to work on energy transition and decarbonization? Is this the place where it's going to happen? Well, I think Louisiana has some very unique assets. Um, if you look up and down the river, we have industry that hires lots of Louisiana graduates. If you uh, look at the assets that our universities have, we have the Petroleum Engineering Laboratory. LSU has a has a uh, functioning training center with an oil well on campus, the PERT Lab. Um, Tulane has is reestablishing their chemical engineering. Um, department after Katrina when those things were shut down. So I think we have a lot of things moving in the right direction here. Are you optimistic that we're moving effectively to cleaner fuels? Uh, 
Yeah, I think Louisiana is always going to be an energy state. And the fact that our federal government's investing in Louisiana in this way is a testament that the federal government recognizes the important um, place that Louisiana plays in our federal energy independence. Well, congratulations, uh, Dr. Mass, Dr. Moss. It's spelled Mass, but it's Moss, M A A S. Carol and Jefferson, if you can get in in about 10 seconds, we'll, I know you've been waiting a while. I want to slide you in if you, you may have the final word. Go for it. Yes, I was wondering if there would be some kind of public forum where we can find out how this research went. What about a public forum of some kind? Absolutely. We have a website already set up, fuellouisiana.org. That's where we'll be publishing all of the outputs, and we'll uh, be engaging with the communities on ide- ideating. Thank you, Dr. Moss. And thank you for listening. Back next week.